Good morning, everybody, and happy Sabbath. It's good to see all of you here. I have a, a couple of disclaimers uh, before we get to today's message, and, and, a, and a couple of things is this. Number one, I need you to hear me out all the way through to the end, okay? Number two, I need you to understand that today's message breaks away from the series that we have been doing for months now. We've been going through pieces of history. We've been going through, through things that have happened. But I wanted to take a break. Thursday morning, I was getting ready to send my, my final uh, texts and stuff that I was going to use. Usually when I write a sermon, I, I have, you know, maybe 50 texts. And then I sit down privately, and, and I figure, you know what, let's cut this one, this one, this one. Let's just send this. That way it's not too overwhelming. And prayerfully, I figure what to take out. But as I'm sitting there, I, I said to Jonathan, who's working on AV, I said, you know what, we're going to do a whole different message. And for this message, I do want to give credit to Dr. Jones. 16 years ago in seminary, I sat in one of his classes, and he opened up my eyes to something that was brand new to me. You see, I grew up in Puerto Rico, and... We are all Puerto Ricans in, in the island. So, so you know, we, we do make fun of each other sometimes because one side of the island, you know, calls a pot a pan, and the other side calls a pan a pot. And so sort of like, you know, it, it, depending on which side you're from, you may ask for a pan and get a big old pot or vice versa. But, but, but usually things are okay. Uh, uh, you know, Dr. Jones, as he was sharing in one of the classes in seminary, you know, he pointed out this thing of divide and conquer, what the enemy tries to do with people, even within our churches. We find a way to find a division, a separation. We find something that just doesn't work. I mean, right now, as an adult, somebody being two or three years older than me is not a big deal. Somebody being two or three years younger, not a big deal. We can hang out. We're a similar age. But man, when I was in middle school and elementary school, I'm a whole week and a half older than you. Huh. So older people here, young people here. And a week meant a lot because we always found a way to be divided. And our country right now has been split for a long time. More and more, the media and politics and all of these different things find ways to separate us and create divisions among us. And the problem is that when we're so focused on how different we are than others, we lose focus on whose we are, where we belong, and how we as children of God are to behave. So this separation, this division, this chaos, these things that is happening in the world around us, it's got to stop. T.S. Eliot says, what life have you if you have not life together? There is no life that is not in community. And so I want to take you to the main text for today before we pray, because I want you to contemplate on this. This is in John chapter 1, verses 43 to 46. And it says the following. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. 44. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And verse 46, And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? 
let us go ahead and pray. Father God, we love you so much. And as we explore this question today, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I ask for an anointing of your Holy Spirit, that it be you and not I, that you anoint my lips, Father God, and that your name may be glorified, because in this, something good did come out of Nazareth, in spite of Nathaniel's feelings. I am asking that you pour out your spirit right now, humbly, in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Let everyone here say, amen. I grew up, just, just a little bit of background uh, from me, my, my, my growing up is a little bit different. Um, I was born in Massachusetts. As you know, Puerto Rico, when they wanted uh, us, you know, the Spanish-American War was in the late 1800s, and uh, we were U.S. territory. But then when we needed to serve in the military and fight in the great wars, they made everybody from Puerto Rico a U.S. citizen. We are born citizens now, unless you were born, you know, in the late 1800s, early 1900s. But from early on, we've been U.S. citizens. And so we're able to come from Puerto Rico to the U.S., to the mainland, you know, just as from Hawaii to the mainland. Not a big deal. I was born in Massachusetts. My biological father was a heavy alcoholic. Um, he used to beat my mom and all of this. So my mom left him when I was just a baby. And so when she left him from Massachusetts, we moved to Puerto Rico, and I grew up in Puerto Rico, but I grew up in the city in Reparto Metropolitano. It's just a city, but here's what I want you to picture. We were right in the center between two projects, Vista Hermosa and Villa España. Both of them were right there. We're right in the middle. So my elementary school, we had kids who were from one project or the other, and there was like rivalry. You know, it's kind of like the, the U.S. version of East Coast versus West Coast or Bloods versus Crips. You know, you had over there Doñetas versus the Insectos. And, and so as I'm sitting in school, I, I, I grew up right in the center, right caught in the middle between two projects. Now, my biological father moved at that point to Newark, New Jersey. And so sometimes, not every summer, but a couple of summers between, between my, my, my birth through about 10 years of age, we would go to Newark uh, for, for summer break to spend time with my biological father. In Newark, he lived on Orange Street, the one of the worst streets in Newark. As a matter of fact, when I was eight years old, my first shootout was in Newark, New Jersey, in Orange Street. My dad, my brother, and I were going to the corner store, and as soon as we come out, we see the Cherokee that crashes into a pole, another truck behind it, and they get out, and they got automatics, and they're shooting at each other. And so my dad, my brother, and I, we kind of just dropped through the ground. I was scared, but that was in Newark, New Jersey, and that was, those were my summers. And then... When I was 11 years old, we moved to New Jersey officially. My, my mom, my stepdad, who, who I call my dad, he introduces to the Adventist church. And we moved to Camden County and more closely to a city called Camden, New Jersey. If anybody knows anything about Camden, has been competing for the one and two spots for the worst cities in the U.S. in over 50 years. Detroit and Camden sort of take turns. Till this day... We have the record for more cop kills in a year. Not only that, in 97, Milton Milan, he was the, the city mayor, and he was elected, and three years later, they arrested him because it turns out that he was one of the biggest drug dealers in the city of Camden. Not only was he one of the biggest drug dealers in the city of Camden, he had judges and politicians, and he had attorneys, and people there, so forth. The next two years, 
the military came in, the state police came in, and we had zero local government. They fired all of the police, all of the judges, all of the attorneys, and, and check it out. I mean, this was only 20 years ago. I mean, so, wow, I'm getting old. Um, uh, but, you know, but check it out. So, so, so this is canon. For two years, for two years, we had either state police or military policing the streets in which I grew up in. And so understand that from, from Massachusetts, country, woods, nice, to, to hood in Puerto Rico, to vacation in the hood in Newark, to live in the hood in Camden. This is where I grew up. And I grew up in Pathfinders. I, I grew up with the church youth. And till this day, a lot of my friends, both in Puerto Rico and in New Jersey, either dead or in prison, very few of us made it out of that entire situation alive. That's where I'm from. That's where I grew up. And, and many people may not realize that meeting me now years later, but you're used to that. Hearing shootouts in the middle of the night is a very normal thing. You know, we, it's just the thing that you do. Pit bulls roaming the streets and in packs because kids think they're gangsters. They get pit bulls. They set them free because, you know, it's too much care. And they're just stray dogs everywhere. And, and so, you know, that's sort of where I grew up. Questions like where you are from, it is right up there in significance amongst with how are you and what's your name. And these questions are, you know, they're things that just roll off your lip when, when you meet someone. Hey, how are you? Where are you from? What, what, you know, what, where is that? And, and so uh, we try to determine, like, where's your accent from or, or anything like that. And if by prudence and etiquette we choose not to ask these questions, we still ponder, you know, on the inside as we speak or interact with an individual that we've just met to try to figure out where they are. We, we kind of engage in many gymnastics and speculating, deciphering, or trying to situate, to locate, or to place the person. Where are you from? We listen to speech patterns, vocal inflections, the accents, the pacing, the timing, and the flow of the language to determine where the person is from. We try to figure out where's the land of birth, the point of origins, or place of upbringing. And this is a significant issue, especially here in the U.S. of A, a land of immigrants. You know, I uh, met someone this week. She's actually one of our newest additions to the church, Audie, and, and so welcome. And, uh, you know, when I met her a couple of, uh, like a week and a half ago, I was talking to her in Spanish. She was like, Pastor, where are you from? I can't tell your Spanish accent. Where so I was like, I'm from Puerto Rico, but apparently I've lost my, my, my Puerto Rican accent. I, I still speak Spanish, but I don't sound like your typical Puerto Rican, I guess. And even my thick English accent, it's a mixture of Latino slash Jersey accent. I still say weeby, heeby, shebe, davy. That, that's an up north thing. And now that I've been living in the south for over a decade, I caught myself telling my brother the other day, y'all be doing some crazy stuff in Jersey. So I, I added the y'all and the New Jersey B. And so now I don't even know where, you know, I, I, I'm just all discombobulated with, with the accents, but she had no idea that I was from Puerto Rico because apparently I don't sound like a Puerto Rican in Spanish anymore, and that's, that was odd. I was shocked when I, when I heard that. But, you know, we, we try to do that. We try to figure out what happens, and so this is also a significant issue in religious bodies, especially one like ours that we are a worldwide church. You know, this issue starts up and shows up very early in the ministry of Jesus. I don't know if you know that, but when Jesus, we just read it, when he began to ask people to follow him, most did it without question until Nathaniel was called. Nathaniel's response was not of joy or excitement, but unbelief and cynicism and even disgust. 
It wasn't just that he refused to take people's words that, that Jesus was the one about whom Moses had written in the law. It wasn't that he just refused to go on face value of things. Oh, no. Nathaniel had given into the prejudice of the day, believing like most people, the citizens of Nazareth were all the same, bad. And so how did Jesus end up in Nazareth in the first place? Well, first of all, we know Jesus was born where? Bethlehem, right? Yeah, Jesus was right. He was born in Bethlehem. It was a small town, certainly not Athens or Rome or Jerusalem. Bethlehem was a little out-of-the-way town. And to add insult to injury, Jesus was born in a manger. I mean, it wasn't like a regular hospital bed. You know, it wasn't in a hotel. It, it wasn't like those fancy people that have their babies in like a, a jacuzzi or a little pool that they bring to the room. No, he was stuck with animals in a barn, in a manger made of hay and... and I need you to picture this. I worked in a pet shop for two years, and I had a, my odors when I came home. It was a combination of poop and bleach because that's how I, you know, I cleaned the cages and, and worked on it. Could you imagine the setting surrounded by all of those animals? You know, and he was born in the lowest of the lowest in Bethlehem. And then he was smuggled to, to Egypt, an alien country, a foreign country. And I want us to take it from here, Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. And look what it says. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And so Jesus does spend some time in Egypt as a refugee, as an undocumented alien, as an illegal immigrant. And look at the rest of the story on verse 19 because it doesn't end there. This is Matthew chapter 2 verse 19. It says, but when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Verse 20, saying, arise, take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the young child's life are dead. 21. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. 22. But when he heard that Archelaus, who was reigning over Judea, instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. Verse 23. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. So it was God who guided Joseph from Bethlehem to Egypt, from Egypt to Galilee to settle down finally in Nazareth. God in his providence ordained that Jesus will be brought up on Galilee, but notice the downward spiral, at least from a human perspective. Bethlehem to Egypt to Nazareth. He went from the house of bread, Bethlehem, to the land of bondage and banishment, Egypt, to the place of shame and low esteem, Nazareth. He went from a small place to a strange place to a despised place. Because you see, Nazareth was not a city of great prominence. Historians say that soldiers or anyone who interacted with Nazarenes 
They were worse than compromisers who interacted with Gentiles. It was frowned upon by the Jews. Do, do you understand this? I mean, if you remember in the story of Acts, when Peter had a vision, when Peter looked at the vision there, he was saying, you know, I, 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 don't, come, I don't come in contact with unclean. If you were not a Jew, you were considered filthy and unclean. Nazarenes, who are a variation of the Jews, but from Nazareth, were considered worse than the unclean Gentiles. That's how despised Nazareth was. And so to, to borrow from the, mother, uh, the, the modern uh, culture of today, Nazareth was the hood. Nazareth was the proverbial town over the railroad tracks. Nazareth was a hillbilly town. Nazareth was the trailer park inhabited by white trash. Nazareth was ghetto inhabited by lowlifes who would or could amount to nothing. Nazareth was just terrible. Galilee was well known to be well behind the times and lacking in culture, lacking in education. Gal Galileans used to use crude language, not fancy language. And Nazareth seemed to have the worst reputation in all of Galilee. So in other words, Galileans were bad. But if you live in that sector of Galilee, Nazareth, you're even worse. I mean, to be the worst of the worst, can, can you picture that? And so the name of Nazareth wasn't respectable, it wasn't honorable, it wasn't admirable. It was usually spoken of with disgust. Nazareth was not a good vacationing spot. It wasn't a good prospect to start a new business or a nice community in which you would like to move your family to. Like, yay, one day we're going to move and retire to Nazareth. It wasn't like that. Jews thought that the Messiah would come from a place of prestige, but certainly not from Nazareth. Nazareth was despised by Rome. It was despised by the Jews. And Jesus grew up in a despised town. Remember when Jesus was crucified, hanging on the cross? It says here, is Jesus of where? Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. This was ironic to think that the king of the Jews will be from Nazareth. This was meant to be an insult. This was meant to be, you know, ridiculous for someone that, 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 that says that Jesus could be from Nazareth and that anyone from Nazareth could be king of the Jews. This is why Nathaniel said, can anything good come from Nazareth? You know, my family still lives in Canada. My parents still live there. And we're actually looking now for a place for them to retire to. So we're looking into the, into the future. They're, they're in their, uh, you know, late 50s, early 60s. Yes, they're, they're young. We started early. Um, and, and, and so, but they're looking into, you know, where to retire maybe a decade from now, see where they're going to be. And, and so we're looking into that. But as of this moment, they still live in Canada. They're still like drug raids and they're still like hit and runs and shootouts and all kinds of things. And people tell me like, ooh, we'll pray for them. Mercy. No one should ever enter Camden. Make sure you just skip, you know, that section of Camden and go right into Philly or something like that and just, just stay away from all of that. And I've heard it many times. Camden is just terrible, full of evil people. But you know what? There are wonderful people in Camden still. I mean, this idea of lumping people together from a certain place is a practice that is first nature to some of us. You know, it starts with what we call categorizing. You know, categorizing is a cognitive process, you know, of conceptualizing objects and people as members of the groups. We categorize people according to a couple of things. Number one, inherent traits such as culture, race, sex, physical feature, you know, uh, 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 features like tall people, short people, big nose, little nose, uh, bald, you know, tall, dark, and handsome. We, we have, and then we have acquired tra traits like education and occupation and lifestyle and custom. You know the questions. So where are you from? 
What do you do for a living? I mean, these are all questions that we ask to categorize people. But categorizing and generalizing are natural processes that, that cannot be avoided and may be helpful in processing information, making decisions, especially quickly, quick, quick decisions. However, they are prone to be abuse and morph into negative behavior such as stereotyping and prejudice. Now, stereotypes get us in trouble. They're everywhere. Everybody has them. Stereotypes are a product of the way that our mind stores and organizes and records information. So you, you can't help it, but it can't be abuse. And that's the problem. Stereotypes are used to describe differences among people and to predict how people will behave. To, they reduce complexity and help in making quick decisions. Unfortunately, many of them often result in unfairness and injustice. A stereotype is a belief that associates a whole group of people with certain traits. So kind of like, you know, we had to learn this. When I first came here from Puerto Rico, I had to learn about racism. I've told you guys before in a couple of messages that in Puerto Rico, we're not a purebred. Okay, we, we have the native Indian Tainos. We have the Spaniards who, who are tall and, and, and light hair, light eyes, pale skin. And then they brought African slaves with them. And they co-mingle over the years. And this is why Puerto Ricans, we can go on the scale from the lightest to the lightest skin to the darkest skin. From the straightest hair to the waviest, curliest hair. And so when I came here from Puerto Rico, I learned that although over there, whether you're black or white or whatever, we were all Puerto Ricans, here there was a difference. There was a difference. And, and, and watch out for black people and watch out for white people. The white man is always trying to keep us down. And, watch, and, and I learned this, you think. But then, you know, we think it's kind of ridiculous, but we, we find ways to find divisions among ourselves continually. I learned of a friend of mine in Jamaica that in the other side of the island, you got lighter-skinned Jamaicans, and even though they're all Jamaicans, yeah, you're from that side of the island, and we kind of fight for that. And you're saying, oh, silly Jamaicans. But you know what? I learned that here in Florida too. My wife graduated just this summer from UF, the University of Florida. Yeah, the Gators, right? But I am in Seminole country. This is FSU just down the street. And God forbid that she puts a big gator on her car because some of you here, some of you are, are in the scale of, you know what, definitely Seminoles over Gators. But there are some people in this city that will scratch up her car, who throw stuff at her car because she's representing a team that doesn't agree with this community. Some people go to the extremes. And all of us here, we don't want to admit it, we may have our issues with a particular race, but some of you will go as far as scratching the cars or doing something to those people because they don't simply agree with you. Come on now, you can't say amen, say ouch. We get into trouble and we kind of go from people to people in New Jersey in New Jersey, at first, you know who were the black people before black people got there? The Italians. We were so nasty and gross in New Jersey to Italians. It was regular white versus regular Italians. We went through a, a moment where we were hating on the Jews, but then black people came. And then the Vietnamese came. Oh, in Camden right now, the Vietnamese are the evil people. Blacks and Puerto Ricans alike get together, but forget those Vietnamese people. And, you know, I'm speaking this, and I know some of you are going to hate, hate a brother after this. Listen, I got one more sermon left before my sabbatical. Then I'm going to shut off everything for like 90 days. So it, it is what it is. I'm going to say it like how it is. But we have to be honest with ourselves. We keep messing up. 
and we keep finding ways to get distracted from where we need to be a stereotype it's a rigid judgment made about other groups that ignore individual achievements or differences we categorize it or we say things like women are more emotional than men and men are more competitive than women we say that what white men are unable to jump we say that black people are unable to swim or float we say that Brazilian women as being sexy Italian men as being studs Frenchmen have been stereotypes as being lovers Indians have been stereotyped as liking hot food and Puerto Ricans for having a busted up Chevy on their front yard I mean I got a Toyota as my sons and it's busted but but whatever I mean do, do you understand do you understand how we fall into these things in our churches we do the exact same thing we stereotype one another some people you know for certain parts of the world can, can be described and analyzed but they're not able to be synthesized you know black preachers as having heat but no light white preachers as having light but no heat and don't even get me started if you're Hispanic because for me you know what they say oh you know what you preach like a black preacher or you preach like a white preacher uh, we have no identity we just kind of fall on one side or the other and we do that some people cannot share Jesus because they cannot think or conceptualize I mean we have these stereotypes here in our churches too we stereotype people we lump them all together people with strong stereotypes uh, they apply attributes to the whole group rather than individuals and so here's what happens when people don't fit the profile right now all men are pigs and if you are a decent man oh you're just the exception it's okay you you are you are just the exception you know I have somebody from this church uh, some years ago when they learned because I went to school to 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 do business and finance and then I followed call to ministry and it's like wow you got so much education for a Hispanic you know the bad word that you say to black people that starts with the letter N I was in one of my other churches in the south visiting a lady in the nursing home when she heard my accent oh you're just a light-skinned n-word I mean this is just here I'm not talking about this was just in the 60s I'm not talking about in the 70s or 80s I'm talking about recently right now now don't get me wrong I'm, I'm personally okay with it but you know what I'm not okay that all of us here are okay with it that we go on like if it's nothing and you know what happens I get beat up sometimes with my, my liberal people from the church you're too much of a, of a Republican for us and when I when I'm too conservative the Republican says you're too much of a Democrat for us I, I'm not too much of one or the other I am from the kingdom of God this is why this sermon is titled where are you from because if you are from the kingdom of God then everything is a little bit different now here's what happens with stereotypes not only does it affect those who hold them those who hold them there used to be one of my first jokes in English that was weird for me to understand when I came here somebody taught it to me you know what they said they said if you see a white man with a with a white gown with some blood running across the street he must be a doctor or a surgeon but if you see a black man in the same way he must be a butcher and I'm like what we we we, we it affects us who we are what we are and what we do not only that but also, it could be a self-fulfilling prophecy. I remember doing a, a psychological study some years back, and we talked about the effects that it has on people. It has even been turned into fun on secret camera shows, like, like hidden camera shows or whatever, where you will go to someone, sir, come down. And the guy is calm. Hey, hey, come down. But I'm not, hey, come down. So the guy then now gets loud. I am calm. Because you kind of made that happen. 
Does that make sense? And so when you're constantly, you know, treating somebody like they're the bad guy, eventually what happens? They become the bad guy. Not only that, do you know what happens to children? If you look at any early child development, you tell a kid that you are going to be, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad. What is that kid going to grow up to be? He's going to be bad. You tell him you're a criminal, you're a criminal. They're going to grow up to be a criminal. You, you turn it into a self-fulfilling prophecy. You turn it into a self-consensus bias where they tell me I'm bad, I think I'm bad, therefore I must be bad. And so we are poisoning this thing. I had to learn about racism, and we are now teaching our children the very same thing. And this is a huge problem. You see, stereotypes lead to prejudice, and prejudice leads to prejudge people. This results in the unfair outlook or behavior towards a particular group. For example, ethnocentrism, the belief that your ethnic group is better than others. Sexism, the belief that your gender is better than others. Ageism, the belief that your age group is better than others. And racism, the belief that your race is better than others. These are all just examples of prejudice. And, and we see that, but when prejudice is placed into action, it becomes discrimination. And discrimination is action that takes and, and creates harm for a particular group and any of its members. And this is a problem because, you see, Jesus was a victim of stereotypes, prejudice, and discrimination. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, could you imagine to be so disgusted to ask that question about Jesus? Interestingly, though, interestingly, though, the gospel and throughout the gospels, you see it very clearly that Jesus is identified as being from Nazareth. Demons call him from Nazareth. I mean, it's like, it's like whoever wrote the scriptures, which we know it was the Holy Spirit, wanted it to be known that he was from Nazareth. Look at this um, text here, uh, Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark 1, 23 to 24. Even demons recognized him as Jesus of Nazareth. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, 24, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of what? Jesus of Nazareth. Do you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Even the sick. Look at Mark chapter 10, verse 46. And 47, it says, Now they came to Jericho as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, set by the road begging. 47. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus of Nazareth was repeated over and over and over. It's like he is proud. People ask me sometimes, where, you know, like when I go check into a hotel, uh, when I'm traveling to like the conference in Orlando, whatever, where are you visiting from today? Oh, from Tallahassee. I don't immediately say, you know, from Camden, New Jersey. You know, when Audie asked me, where's your accent from? I said Puerto Rico. I didn't say Camden, New Jersey. You know, I mean, I... People want to know the story. I'll give you the story of where I'm from. But, but typically, you go to the highlights. My most recent location, you maybe go to your actual origin place. But you don't really discuss, you know, especially from, from, from somewhere that is kind of hood or, 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 or ghetto-ish. But, but yet, throughout the scriptures, over and over, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth. Even when the disciples blessed people and preached, they made it a point to say that Jesus was from Nazareth. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Look what it says. It says the following. It says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Acts 2.22. It says, Men of Israel, hear the words. Jesus 
of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Over and over again, over and over again, the apostles minister in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. The descendants, Jesus of Nazareth, appears a lot, a lot throughout the scriptures as though the author don't want us to forget, as though he knew the beginning from the end, and he knew that it was important that you knew that it does not matter where you were from. Is that the author didn't want us to forget that Jesus was, in fact, from Nazareth, that he came from a despised place. You know, he wanted to show, God wanted to show that, yes, something good did come out of Nazareth. Jesus Christ, God's only son, the Messiah, came out of Nazareth. Jesus gave Nazareth a new name. He changed the reputation of Nazareth. Being from Nazareth now, salvation came out of Nazareth. Why? Because he came to save, he came to minister, he came to transform a people with Nazareth rep reputation and to create a brand new community. Now, some people are saying, you know, ah, yeah, you're probably just saying this, etc. No, no, this is directly from the Word of God. Yeah, but, you know, between the George Floyd thing and the stabbing and the shooting or whatever, you're just trying to bring, no, no, I'm not trying to bring anything here. The thing is that we need to remember where we are from. He came to create a new community. It doesn't matter whether you're from Newark, New Jersey, Camden, New Jersey, Puerto Rico, Villa Muerta, Villa Hermosa, Villa España. It does not matter. We are children of the King. It doesn't matter if Nazareth had a bad reputation. Christ came to create a brand new community. What you've done, where you've been means nothing. Where you're going is more important. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Look what it says. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now listen to verse 10. I want you to listen to this carefully. Go ahead and put that up. Who once were not a people, you was nothing, but are now the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Do you understand that? If you claim to be of the king, doesn't matter if you think that Vietnamese people or Italians or blacks or whatever. If we are on the king, we are part of the new community. Plain and simple, there's no what ifs or buts about it. It messes me up how many people choose their political party over God. Do you know that the people of Israel got in trouble when they wanted to worship their king the way the other nations worship their kings, plural, who wanted to worship their God the way the other people worship their gods? They got into trouble. We need to stop thinking that we belong to this world in that extent. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. Know what is supposed about it, and your life will show it. It makes me sick to my stomach. It makes me sick to my stomach when people say to me, oh, I'm not racist. I got a couple of black friends. Yeah, and serial killers have a few live friends too, you know. doesn't mean that they kill them all, you know. And, and, and so you got to understand that this is a problem. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. Listen to this five verses. And you, I'm taking it to you, whether you're Democrat or Republican, doesn't matter where you're from. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses, sins, racism, ageism, sexism. Number two, 
in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. 14, but God. But God, who is rich, rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. Verse 5, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive, segregated in Christ. What does it say there? Together with Christ, because by grace you have been saved. My God is a God of unity. My God is a God of community. My God is a God of healing and restoration and love. Galatians 3.28, Galatians 3.28, it says the following, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all segregated in Christ Jesus. What does it say there? You are all one in Christ Jesus. Dare I even add to this text and say there's neither old or young or there's neither a gator or a seminole or a black or a white because we're all one in Jesus? I mean, is that all right? Can, can we say that? doesn't matter where you're from or where you're at or which team you're rooted for. We're all one in Christ. Look what it says in Revelation about the end times and, and how things are going to be. This is Revelation 5, 2. It says the following. It says, then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? Here's the question. Who is worthy to open the scrolls and to loose its seals? Understand what happens. You know, uh, John, he's sitting there, the, the, the revelator, and he's looking at this vision, and here's the question. Who is worthy? So much corruption, so much evil is in this world that they did not know. And he wept and he was sad. As you read the rest of that chapter, he wept and he was sad. Why? Because there was no one worthy. But then suddenly, an elder saw, and, and, and he lifted up the, the, the head of John and says, whoa, 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 look, look, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah the one who is the root of David, he is worthy. And so what happens is that Jesus showed up. And the Bible in Revelation tells us that all of the elders bowed down, they got on their knees, and they worshiped Jesus because Jesus was found worthy to open the seals, to open the scrolls, to loosen it all up and put things to where they needed to be. Let's pick up the story in verse 9 of Revelation 5 because after they bowed down and worshiped, look what this says. And they sang a new song, saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of only the white people or the black people or the Italians or the Vietnam. What does it say there? Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, old and young alike, male and female alike, verse 10, and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Don't you understand? Jesus came out of Nazareth to create a new community of male and female and bond and free, northerner and southerner. It doesn't matter where you're from. Have you been washed by the blood of Jesus? Because that's really what matters. Your race and your social status is not going to get you to enter the kingdom. See, it doesn't matter where you're from. Where you're going is more important. And so my prayer for all of you here, listen. 
I recognize that Tallahassee sometimes, you know, it's not really North Florida, it's closer to South Georgia. I recognize that sometimes some of that hatred is very, very visible. I see it. I totally understand it. But we got to stop. Do we think, and I want you to just ponder on this before I close and pray, but do you think, do you think that we can, let me put it to you this way. Do you think that I could go spend my entire life murdering people, and then when I get to heaven, then that would just stop? There will be no more death and no more sorrow. You see, you have to understand something. What happens in the kingdom of heaven, the changes in the kingdom of heaven, it's the curse of sin. Sin entered this world, and this is why we got thunderstorms and tornadoes and hurricanes and all of those things. This is why nature, especially here in Florida, is trying to eat us alive and bite us and stuff like that. This is why you got flying cacaroches coming out of trees and they hit your, your forehead. When you're just trying to get into your car and mind your own business, nature is evil right now because of sin. And I get that. We get old, you know. And, and every day I try to not get old, but I fail daily. I just get older daily and I see it. You know, less hair here, more hair here, more grays down here. I mean, I see it. I, I, I I understand it. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more suffering. That's there. But the sanctification process, the character building, the surrendering to God needs to happen here. If I continue to murder, unrepentantly continue and continue and continue, I'm not going to enter the kingdom of God, right? It would be absurd to think that I could keep on killing and enter the kingdom of God. It will also be absurd to think that you could keep generalizing, discriminating, prejudging people, having a form of racism, ageism, sexism, or ethnocentrism, and think that in heaven things will be all right. It needs to start here right now, and if we ain't there, then we need to repent and be baptized anew and converted anew. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Absolutely. Can anything good come out of Tallahassee or from wherever you're watching at home? It is my prayer that you surrender to God so that the answer says yes and we're part of the new kingdom and the community. Where you're from doesn't matter. Where you're going is important. Unless you're already claiming, like me, I am part of God's children. And if you are so, live accordingly. Let us pray. Father God, I know I'm going to get a whole bunch of emails and text messages from this message, but it's all good. Lord, all I'm asking is that us individually, I'm not worried about the rest of the world. I'm not worried about the rest of the community. I'm, 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 I'm hoping that your children are able to live lives worthy of those who are you are going to put to rule in the earth and reign those people that you brought out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Father God, continue to pour out your mercies upon us. And you may need to fix some parts in our lives. You may need to reshape us all together. You may need to create in us a, a new creation. You may need to soften our hearts because we just look at a certain set of people and, and, and there's nothing but animosity and hatred and we need you to soften our hearts. Some of us need to really, truly repent. Some of us need to just share more of that love. But Lord, it is evidence that we need you to continue to work in our lives and sanctify us, not more than ever. Your end is very near and we have nothing but a short time. The time is at hand. May you bless us and keep us. May you work in our hearts that it may no longer be us, but Christ living in us. This is my humble prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let everyone here say it.